Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, good morning again. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. What's the big news where you are? Uh, Mary Rose says uh, it's going to be adjustment waking up early again. That's the big news as school starts up uh, next week. Um, the big news uh, where you are is whatever the big news is in your life. And so uh, I recognize that. I know that. And so when we try to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day, I recognize that for you, the headlines are different than they are for other people elsewhere. And sometimes um, we get frustrated that people don't know as much as we know about a certain thing. Um, And I want you to think about that in relationship to the gospel. What's the big news where you are today? What's the big news in your life? Jesus is still the good and great news. Jesus is still the best news ever. And so um, when we are consumed with uh, other things, when we are consumed with the things of this world, when we allow um, our attention to be completely consumed with what is happening um, around us, and that's not to say that God does not care about here and now. God does care about here and now, um, but God is interested in this day because of that day, and that day is the day upon which um, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so how am I living this day in light of that day? How am I living today in light of eternity, in anticipation of eternity? Um, and the people around me today, whoever they are, are going to spend eternity in one of two realities. We think of it as one, and two, one or two places, but it's, it's one or two realities, the reality of heaven or the reality of hell. And do I genuinely care? Do I genuinely care where other people are going to spend eternity and how they're going to spend eternity and with whom? And it's one thing to say, um, I want all my people to be be with God in heaven because I want to be with all my people. It's another thing to say, I want all people to know Christ. And so with every breath that God gives me, I am going to make that great and good news known to other people, whoever they are, whatever circumstance of life they're in, regardless of the things that make me different from them, I am going to care about them. I'm going to care about them and so much that I'm going to risk telling them the big news of the day. So how um, can you tell the big news of the day, the Jesus news, the good news, in the midst of the crushing news um, around us. That's, that's what this show is all about. So I hope, I hope we, um, in the conversations that we have and the things that we talk about and the people we talk with, I hope that you are finding yourself equipped to, you, to walk your faith out into the world that God so loves and to do so in ways that honor Jesus. Um, I met a, a, a gal who's headed off to her sophomore year um, 
uh, at college and and you know the the question that I suppose everyone asks everyone else you know, like we ask college students what are you studying which doesn't really matter for most of them but whatever we ask and and they ask us well, what do you do like right we're defined by what we're studying and what we're doing and what 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 would it look like for us to be defined by or to be the people who define the conversation around you know what are you studying in terms of the word of god um you know what are you focused on what are you majoring in in life not not in terms of like some particular academic pursuit but in terms of christ what are you what are you studying um what courses are you taking what's the course of discipleship that you're on or in um and then what do you do i just think that as christians we should start answering that question um I'm, I advance the gospel always and in all ways. I mean, I have a paying gig. I got a job. Um, uh, and, and that's wonderful. But what I do is preach Jesus with every breath, everywhere, all the time. I, I'm, I am a broadcaster of the good news of the gospel. Not because I'm a radio broadcaster, but because my life is hidden in him. I am his. All right, we um we are going to have a conversation uh, about kids who don't have a forever home. For whatever reason, their family has broken down to the point that they don't have a safe way to be with their family right now. Um, and so we have in this country, in the United States of America, a foster care crisis. And it only makes sense that the church would lean into that, that the church would press herself into that because we, um, we are people who have been adopted in Christ. This is not our family of origin. This is a, a family that is our forever family because of Jesus. And so as a person who's been adopted into the family of faith in Jesus Christ, what does it look like for us to have a heart for kids who need a home? Herbie Newell is going to Herbie Newell is going to join us next from Lifeline Children's Services. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, our friend Herbie Newell is back from Lifeline Children's Services. You can find resources related to our conversation today at lifelinechild.org. Hey, Herbie. Hey, Carmen. Thanks for having us again. Absolutely, absolutely. How about you read us in on this um, LifeWay study um, in terms of the percentage of U.S. Protestant churchgoers um, who know anything much about foster care in terms of its lived reality in their own congregations? Yeah, certainly. You know, one of the things that, that the LifeWay research is showing is is that the church is not getting engaged the way that we had hoped in foster care. Uh, I think there's some some engagement for sure. And, and I don't think this means if you're listening and your church has a huge foster care engagement, it's not saying that churches aren't doing anything. It's just saying we're seeing a decrease in churches getting engaged. And unfortunately, and as we've even talked before, this is this is hard work. And this hard work needs church intervention. It needs God's people in it uh, because what these kids in foster care need is life change. But unfortunately, what we're seeing is a decline. And I, you know, I think that precipice decline is is probably looking at even the church decline past COVID. Uh, you know, just the the community getting together. I also think that uh, unfortunately, 
in Christendom sometimes, especially when we get into churches, uh, we, we aren't looking to do the difficult things and the hard things. And and kids from hard places that invade the the programs of our church do create chaos to an extent. And and we need to be a people that lean into chaos and and know that, hey, our lives are chaotic, but Christ Jesus came to bring order to us. And we need to be those people that welcome the chaos of kids that are in foster care, but but to adapt, to be able to have rhythms, to be able to show them the grace and the mercy of Christ. And, you know, I'll just say this, especially in a post-Dobbs world where we're now also seeing another alternate reality, which is more kids are going into foster care. You know, it's a it's a beautiful thing that we have less abortion in our country, but it's also a reality that there are going to be more kids that need intervention. And so we've got to we've got to sound the alarm to the church to say, now is not a time to shrink back. Now is a time to go forward and to care for kids from vulnerable places and hard places. Maybe you've got a foster care story. Maybe you um, were of a, a child who at some portion of your life um, needed a foster family. Maybe you have fostered children in your own home. Maybe you've got a foster care story from uh, a church that you're a part of. We'd love to hear it. You can text me. The text line is open, 877-933-2484. Herbie, the, the ways in which children end up in foster care are myriad, but it, it is safe to say that something is tragically not working. Something is desperately broken for a child to end up in foster care. Yeah, that, totally the truth, Carmen. I mean, even if you look at it, unfortunately, most of the systems in most of our states don't even have to investigate all the potential cases and needs of kids that might need the intervention of foster care. And so the ones that are in foster care typically are those that have, have come from broken situations. Now, sometimes that is just you know abject poverty where parents couldn't uh, take care of their children. Sometimes it's neglect. Many times it's it's abuse, abandonment. Uh, it's it's other other things that we're certainly seeing. We're seeing a rise also of, of drug use in our country, which has an indelible imprint on on kids and it's affecting our foster care system. So there's a ton of reasons that kids end up there. And and the thing that we have to see, even from a Christian worldview is anytime a child is removed from their nuclear biological family, that does create a, a traumatic response. Now, many times it's beautiful. Many times it's a mom making a, a loving decision to place her child in the lives, lives of another through adoption. But even that separation brings some some form of trauma. And so I think what we've got to also see is no matter what the child's experience has been that led them into foster care, they've all experienced loss. They've all experienced some form of trauma. And as God's people, we need to lean in, realizing that these are hurting children Sometimes hurting children hurt others, and we need to come alongside of them, trained, ready, and able to show the love of Christ, which says, hey, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And as God's church, we need to say, as these kids are hurting, we need to move in, we need to help them. And certainly, I'll just say this, and maybe you're sitting here and listening to the show this morning and go, you know, I, I just don't know if I could be a foster parent. There's still so many things you can do to lean into the system, to help kids, to help current foster families, and to bring relief and healing to the system. Hmm. Amen. We're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment. Um, For resources related to this and more information, we want to encourage you to check out LifelineChild.com. 
www.fosterhomes.org. Do you have a foster care story on um, on any side of the conversation? We'd love to hear from you. You can text me at 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Hey, thank you so much for um, the friend who just texted in and said, you know, I was a foster parent and I remain in touch with the young man who came out of a very difficult uh, situation and he still calls me mom. So thank you so much for that testimony. Do you have a foster care testimony? We'd love to hear it. You can text me at 877-933-2484. Continuing our conversation with Herbie Newell, you can find him at Lifeline Children's Services. That is Lifeline Child. Dot O-R-G. Herbie, when we um, when we think about um, the numbers of kids in foster care, it can be a little overwhelming. So maybe just tell us one story, like bring one child and one story into focus for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, when when you look at the number four hundred fifty thousand kids in U.S. foster care. It, it can be mind altering, especially if you're one family thinking, how can I begin to even make a dent or a difference in that, you know, but consistent care, love, consistent concern. Those are the things that really make a difference. I, I, the, the story that just instantly comes to mind is of a friend who she and her husband, uh, they decided to foster this little girl. She was five years old and she was in a horrible situation. Uh, she had actually been tossed from foster home to foster home, and they just leaned in empty nesters to give some care and support to this child, uh, leaned into her. And then, you know, fast forward some three years later, the state comes to them and says, can she become your daughter? And while this story isn't perfect, um, this child now uh, is out of the home, has graduated from high school, is having even some identity issues, to be honest with you. The beautiful nature of the story, and, and, and again, it comes to mind because I was just praying with this brother and sister over this, is the reminder that she has a home and she has a place to go. And so even in her wanderings, she has a place to come back home. And she was just home this last weekend, and it was actually a, a really good weekend. And that was what the big trust is, hey, I, I'm still trying to find myself. I'm still struggling with, with all the experience I've been through, but thank you for being consistent and being home. And that story just strikes me because I think a lot of times we want the success. We want to say, here's a child that came into care. Their life was altered, you know, revolutionarily changed. And now they are a president of a company or they're, 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 they're the world changer somewhere. But I think the, the simple story of, of even a child that goes through a, a stability struggling on the other end, struggling to find their way, but still knows that there is a safe place to call home. 
that is the that is a beautiful analogy of the gospel that that we as God's children so many times he brings us in he says while you're wayward while you're sinners I'm going to bring you in I'm going to give you a safe place I'm going to be your father I'm going to be stability and yet how many times even as Christ followers do we wander away trying to find ourselves when our true identity is in Christ but we always know that he is welcoming us home. You know, even this morning in my Bible reading, I was reading about the prodigal child, where the prodigal child comes home knowing that the father would be waiting, the father would want him back. I think that's a, a beautiful thing for the church to know is we can be emissaries of the gospel of Christ Jesus, even by the way that we foster, knowing that the outcome is unsure of what will that child's life be, but being that safe place, being that permanent place, being the place that can be called home makes the difference. And so, you know, this young lady's story, uh, and I'm not going to say her name just because she could be listening, um, is yet to be fully told. It's the, the end is not yet there. But the beautiful nature is there's been a family standing there for the last 15 years, willing to love on her and care for her and be a safe place. And church, that's what we we need to do. We need to be that safe place. Mm. Um, thank you so much for uh, the friend who just texted in. I'm a foster mom. One of my special education students um, lives with us. It's uh, heading toward adoption. Thank you so much. Prayers for you today. Um, what a what a gift and what a blessing um, another person texting in, uh, my, my older daughter came from, um, a difficult situation with a long family history of drugs and mental illness, incarceration and practices of the occult. Um, my teen daughter, her birth mom, um, was fetal alcohol affected and her birth dad had some developmental disabilities. Um, neither of them could live independently, so they could not parent a child um, neither of these birth families, you know, were suitable for raising a child. Um, but she, you know, she says, I love my girls. I love my girls. Um, and it's, um, right. There are these testimonies. And so what we want, what we want you to hear us say this morning, Herbie and I want you to hear us say, and these who are testifying on the text line, what we want you to hear us say is, um, there's a seat at the table for you. If you are, a person who is disconnected from the family of faith. Um, and that is then extended by grace through those of us who know um, the reconciliation with God and adoption into his family. That is then extended in real relationships in the world through things like foster care. And so um, how can we bear witness to the truth we know and the grace in which we live by extending it to a little child today? That's really the question um, before us. And if you're interested in more information um, and how to get connected and how to support foster families, if that's your calling, lifelinechild.org would be a great place to connect. Herbie, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Carmen. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, for those of you texting in, um, do I know Maridel Sandberg? I do. And for those of you in the Twin Cities or in Iowa or maybe listening in Waco, Texas, Together for Good, tfgood.org, an alternative, a church-based alternative to foster care in your communities. If you want to see that extended elsewhere, I'd love for you to connect with Maridel. She is a precious friend. So, yeah, thank you so much for that. Hey, let's take a break for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Do people still really become Christians today? Like, I mean, is conversion still a thing? Do people come to faith? 
Is the good news of the gospel still good news? Is it still news? I mean, doesn't everybody already know who Jesus is? And haven't they already made their decisions? I mean, like, who are we to, like, pick around in people's ideas and confront them with the gospel? Hmm. People do still come to faith. Actual atheists become actual Christians. We're going to talk about some of their stories next. Jana Harmon will be here. Her book is Atheists Finding God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Gary was raised in a home that dismissed God. His friends mocked anything to do with religion or religious people. Compounding his view of an irrelevant God was the reality of an absent and abusive father. The idea that there was a loving heavenly father made no sense. He had no point of reference for that. He became emotionally distant, tough, easily angered, bulletproof, no need for anyone. Atheism was a natural response to his life experience. God was not good, real, or relevant. That is the opening paragraph of Atheists Finding God. Jana Harmon joins us now to share with us some unlikely stories of conversion to Christianity in the contemporary West. Jana, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. It's great to be with you, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, Religious conversion, does it still happen, and what does it include? Surprisingly, yes. You know, it was it was interesting undergoing this journeying of looking at former skeptics and atheists and how they came to faith. In this world, especially in our culture, when you look around, you think, wow, could that ever happen? We, we hear stories of deconversion and Christians leaving the faith, but we don't often hear of conversions of skeptics and atheists coming to faith in God, and, and they are there for sure. So I love uh, the podcast. Um, For those of you listening, Side B, the letter B, Side B Stories is the podcast. Um, And you can you can go there and you can actually listen and watch um, these conversations, these unlikely stories of conversions to Christianity. Um, And that is so fantastic. And several of those uh, stories are told in this book as well. But the book is more than that. I love that you um, walk us into the conflict of worldviews here. So um, this is about reality and how we see it and reality and how we experience it. Can you talk a little bit about the conflicting worldview stories of atheism and Christianity? Absolutely. I think sometimes people choose atheism or skepticism, agnosticism, a world without God, because they think it sounds good. You know, to them, they they want to be the captain of their own ship. They don't think they need uh, faith or God. They're they're stronger than that. They're more courageous than that. They really don't need a crutch or some kind of uh, belonging that with a sky daddy. You know, there are all these kind of caricatures and. And so oftentimes people tear down Christianity and the Christian worldview without really knowing what they're actually embracing. Uh, When you look very closely at a worldview without God or atheism, it really means that only the natural world exists, only nature exists. There's nothing supernatural. There is no God. There are no angels or demons or anything like that for this type of atheists. And so they think that it gives them free moral reign to live life 
as freely as they want, but oftentimes they don't really look at the natural worldview itself. Every big question that we answer in our lives has to be answered within our own worldview. And when you look at the atheistic worldview or the naturalistic worldview, the way that we can answer those questions becomes quite limited. So if only nature exists and we are nothing but a matter of molecules in motion with no real meaning or no real morality, no real purpose, um, there's actually no real me that exists beyond a physical substance, it can become quite despairing because there's no way to... All these things that we take for granted about either the world around us, you know, that it, it seems purposeful, that we have lives that we long for purpose and meaning, we we feel the sense that that we as humans are are persons of dignity, that somehow we're special from the rest of the world, that we have inherent rights, that there are certain things that are actually good and evil. None of those things within the atheistic worldview are grounded in reality. In in uh, the naturalistic worldview, we can't ground our own rationality because our minds are driven towards survival, not truth. We cannot even be moral people in, in the sense that we can't even choose. We don't have freedom or free will to choose because we are just these determined you know, beings that are driven by environment and instinct, instinct towards survival. So these very basic intuitions about ourselves, who we are, and even explaining the world around us becomes very difficult on the atheistic worldview. You have to make statements that appear somewhat illogical on its face, like the world came into being for no reason with no cause. That life came from non-life. We don't know how, we just know it just did. You know, there are there are no, again, real moral uh, objective values and duties. We can't call something good or bad. Those are seem very, again, counterintuitive. And the irony there is that even though they say that Christians are living with an illusion of God, they actually have to live with false illusions in order to get themselves through life. So when you open the box, you look at the underbelly of the atheistic worldview, it's not as good as it seems on its surface. As compared to the God-ordained world and worldview in which we live, in which you know we're all trying to make sense of reality, reality of the world around us, and we're, again, reality of our own lives. And in God and through God and with God, we can do all of those things. We have good reason to believe or, or to know why the world it exists in the first place how things came to be, that we have a good explanation for the apparent design is not apparent, it's actually real, whether mm -hmm. it's in the cosmos or whether it's in the cell. We have a real place to ground our dignity, our value, our purpose, our meaning, our hope in life. There's so much to commend the Christian worldview, even public intellectuals like Tom Holland mm -hmm. and Doug Murray and Jordan Peterson are are 
really proclaiming the value of Christianity in shaping the West, and mm-hmm. and we all hold um, these wonderful ideals of human value and dignity and rights based on the Christian worldview. So when you look yeah. at the difference between the two, it's really very stark. Getting um getting to the place where somebody wants to look at the difference between the two, I think is I think for most of us, um, the question. Like what gets my skeptical or atheistic friend to the place where um I'm invited to have the conversation to ask the question um they're not you know necessarily um asking those questions in in the current context of their lived experience so can you talk a little bit about the catalyst the the, the section of the book that talks about catalyst towards change i thought was really um really helpful again we're talking with jana harman the book's the book is atheists finding god um, you should also check out the related podcast, which is Side B Stories, which you can find at SideBStories.com. Um, uh, talk about the catalyst toward change. If I have, if I have a friend um, or a member of my family who is a skeptic or an atheist, what, what are some of the um, points in time I should be planning to be used by God in a conversation? Like, what are the catalysts that lead to those opportunities? Yes, I think that this is really, for me, it was the million dollar question is like, what would turn someone who's apathetic or resistant, um, or even contemptuous against God, what would open them towards an, an, you know, the possibility of God existing. And I think your question also presumes the fact that we are in the lives of those who don't believe we are in their Mm -hmm. lives. (laughs) That's a very critical part, I think one of the most encouraging things that I could say just to start with is that nearly, well, the vast majority, 82%, had some Christian intersect their lives in order to produce or help to produce change towards openness. So that commends us as Christians to, first of all, be engaged in the lives of others so that when moments come of openness, we can be there. But to your point or to your question, Oftentimes, people aren't willing to change until some kind of disruptive uh, something comes into their life that that makes them want to move in a different direction. Now, that can take very different forms. We saw anything from sometimes people do live out their lives within atheism and find it lacking. There's a dissatisfaction, an internal longing for something more what to make sense of their lives. You know, there's an emptiness, a meaninglessness, uh, a purposelessness that comes, but that comes over time. So we have to be patient for someone to actually realize that their worldview, their atheism, their godless worldview is not giving them what they thought that it would. Sometimes it's, it's a crisis, something that comes from outside that totally surprises and disrupts uh, their life. And then their worldview, their godless worldview, does not seem to rise to the occasion to provide what they need, need in that moment of crisis. And so they become open. You know, we've seen that happen when someone reaches a low point or, or an unexpected relationship breakup or health crisis or something so that they're actually often all of a sudden open to the possibility of God. Sometimes it's, it's as something as simple as meeting a Christian. There's so much 
negative press, negative connotations, negative caricaturing of Christians, and little social interaction to actually diffuse those negative interactions. And sometimes when they actually meet a real Christian, whether it be in a moment of crisis or just socially, they they come upon a Christian or become attracted to a Christian, heaven forbid. And they, they find that Christians and Christianity is not as bad as they thought it was. It's not as ignorant as they thought it was. It's uh, so they meet a Christian that, again, diffuses those false caricaturing and uh, negative stereotypes, and they find a life that is actually attractive. Now, that is considering a life of Christianity that is someone who is a true and authentic and serious follower of Christ, not someone who just takes their faith you know, casually. Mm-hmm. There's also um, someone who they come up on an intellectual challenge. Here they are. They're they're bright people. They think they're the smartest people in the room, essentially. And then they encounter an intelligent Christian, whether it be debate or a writing or or someone, a Christian who actually challenges them with some kind of good strategic question or challenges them to read the Bible or whatnot. And so it takes, you know, a courageous Christian who reaches out and actually challenges them to look more closely, not only at Christianity, but at their own worldview. And the last thing I would say in terms of a disruptor is something that was very surprising to me are those divine disruptors. Um, Surprisingly, some of these skeptics, um, when they actually came to a point of perhaps either desperation and calling out for God if they're real or not even looking for God at all. Sometimes they would experience an encounter with Christ, a vision, a dream, a providential circumstance that was so uncanny they could not dismiss. So God was showing up, he was listening, he was waiting, and he encountered they they encounter the reality of God in such a way that it causes them to step back and and consider what well, he is real after all, or mm-hmm. p- potentially, you know, there's something more to this story. Amen. Uh, there is something more to the story. You know that. It's a story that, as a Christian, I love to tell. Am I proximate to people who don't know the true story? They don't know the reality of Christ. They know the caricatures of Christianity. They know the failures Um, but they don't know the goodness, the beauty, and the truth of the reality of who God is. So are you living proximate to people who are skeptical or even openly hostile to the faith, Um, people who are apathetic because they've not been raised in a culture that values the reality of of God? We're talking with Jana Harmon. The book— um, is Atheist Finding God, Unlikely Stories of Conversions to Christianity in the Contemporary West. The related podcast is Side B Stories. You can find it at SideBStories.com. Jana's going to share a couple of those stories with us next here on Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. 
Just text the word APP to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. Jana Harmon is here with us. She's the author of Atheists Finding God, also one of the hosts of Side B Stories. You can find it at SideBStories.com. Um, Jana, maybe tell us um, tell us one of the stories uh, of unlikely conversion to Christianity. You opened the program with a story that I think is probably one of the most interesting stories. You know that when people embrace atheism, they embrace it for different reasons, some for very emotional reasons, some for more intellectual reasons. Usually it's a combination of a lot of reasons. But the story that that you introduced was uh, um, a young man who hated God. He had nothing to do with God. And that was a product, really, because he grew up in a home with an alcoholic and abusive father, the emotionally neglectful father. And then he was also abused sexually by a neighbor. So for him, life got very dark. And he could not see any possibility of a good God if all of these horrible things in his life existed. So he became, he had a lot of pain and brokenness in his life underneath. And and the way that he would express his anger was on the wrestling mat. This was a teenage boy um, who kept trying and harder and harder to fight bigger and bigger young men on the wrestling mat until he got his neck broken, landed in the hospital. And again, he just had a vitriol against God and religion. And in walks a nurse who was so loving and so gracious and asked if if she could pray for him because she, you know, he had a, a serious medical event and and she wanted to minister to him. Now I don't know how well, this would go in these days, but um, during during his hospital stay, she said, I want to pray for you. And he said, I don't believe in God. She said, that's okay. She grabbed his hand and she would pray this sweet prayer. And then she would say, I would want, I want to read the Bible to you. And he said, I don't believe in that. And But she she proceeded in her sweet way. I said, how did that make you feel? Did that make you feel off put? He said, well, it was a little strange, but I could tell she was sweet and that she meant it. And it was all right. So she would do this day after day. And after a bit, his aunt and uncle came in, gave him a Bible. They had become Christians. They, the, a verse was highlighted to something that, that, uh, you know, that the nurse had read. So he's starting to say, well, something's going on here. This feels like maybe God is real. Maybe Christians are nice people. They're not all bad people. He got released from the hospital. Uh, the church started surrounding his family with care. He ended up going to the youth group at the church, and the pastor, the youth pastor there, just embraced him like a father would. He would, he would go to his basketball games, and he would take him out for a coke, and he would listen to him, value him, and he f- started feeling the love of a God that was so absent in his life before. That it took about three years, he understood that there were that this would did not just feel good, and that there were good people, but it actually was a true story of reality. And he ended up accepting Christ. So he went from a very hardened, rough, 
uh, contempt for God, but was softened through the love of God's people that broke down those walls and allowed him to see that maybe God was real after all and that God was good. Um, of course, there are other kinds of stories as well, um, whether it has to do with intellect or meaning or or whatever. I don't know if we have time to do that, but that's that's one story. We have uh, we have like a nine. Can you have a ninety second one? Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quickly, um, we have a we have a culture of meaninglessness now. There's there's oftentimes this attitude that I'm fine without God. I don't need God, and that's where this young man was. He he embraced uh, the the freedom from religion, and it was a adamant atheist. He was had all these intellectual reasons to resist. He he it gave him what he called a moral blank check to live life the way that he wanted. And that was fine for him for about 10 or 20 years until that started to fade. He started to actually see the depravity of his own life, knowing that, you know, there are the morals are relative and he could live any way he wanted. Well, that came to haunt him. In the meantime, he was actually married to a Christian and he began to see the beauty of their, their, her, her life and her family's life and that they had fullness despite not much in their own, you know, uh, they didn't have much in the way of riches or anything, but they had a fullness of life that he became to envy because he began to see that his life was nothing more than a sandcastle that was going to erode with, with the tide. And he, and he started becoming, listless and didn't think that life was worth living. But God met him where he was in this place of hopelessness and showed him not only through that beautiful family and their embodied example, but what he called a spiritual experience when he was led to the reality and the person and the fullness of Christ. Um, Again, that was an experience uh, that he never saw coming, but the Lord has ways and means of reaching down exactly where people are and drawing them to Himself. Um, I love the stories um, because they are um, over time. They bear witness to. Um, I just think about this wife in this marriage, and her, you know, Christian grandmother who prayed. I'm sure that she would marry a Christian man. Um, right. And that's not uh, right. That that would have looked maybe to her grandmother along the way as not an answered prayer. I just it's it's complex. It's um, the process is laid out in every story. It helps us see ourselves in like as a thread in a tapestry versus like, oh, the whole thing's about me. It's all my you know, it's it's the picture of my tapestry. No, I mean, you might just be a little thread in the tapestry that God is weaving in order to lead another person to that point of, um, of faith. So um, it's beautiful. It's, it's complicated, which I appreciate the nuances um, have time to, uh, to unfold and express themselves both in the book and in the podcast. So thank you so much, Jana, um, for what you're doing and how you're doing it. It's such a, a privilege, really, to bring these stories forward in a culture that seems to be resisting God. These are these are countercultural stories that that show that the Lord is really alive and working in the lives of people.
Amen. Amen. Jana Harmon, uh, author of Atheists Finding God, Unlikely Stories of Conversion to Christianity in the Contemporary West. You should also check out the podcast, Side B Stories. You can find it all um, at sidebstories, that's the letter B, dot com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, go ahead and mark the calendar. Susie Larson is going to be with us tomorrow, and we're going to be talking about Closer Than Your Next Breath. Hey, breathe in the grace of God today and, uh, and breathe it out on others as well. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.